Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. First of all, I want to mention to those that are new that I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. A lot of the print is highlighted in red, which are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos that show from many fields of science and from archaeology and so on. Irrefutable evidence of the reality of what I am sharing here. And what am I sharing about? The one true eternal God who is the only ultimate perfection and manifestation of love. This message is for those that have come to know the one true eternal God for whom to know is life eternal. It is a message to the churches throughout the United States and Canada and around the world, especially in this time of crisis. I am here to preach what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When we gather together around Jesus Christ, we are to seek to allow the Spirit of God to speak through us. This is explained very clearly in Revelations 19.10 where we read, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of Prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of great humility and reverence, out of love for God, we are filled with the Spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances beyond ourselves. We will sense the Spirit of God rising up within us. We don't even know what we're going to say, but we release it, whether it's in a song or a testimony, a word of exhortation, or in whatever way it comes forth, but it comes forth beyond ourselves by the Spirit of God. How? By worship. It is out of worship that the Spirit of prophecy flows. That's what happened in, what is it, Second Kings 3.16, if I remember right. Elijah calls for a minstrel to play before him before he gives a prophetic word to the two kings that are so desperate to hear from God as they seem to be facing annihilation from an approaching army. I want to share with you what God has given me today, what I do to facilitate speaking prophetically or as the oracles of God, I cast lots before the Lord. As it says in Proverbs 16, the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord, and it indeed is so. When it is done with great reverence and a right love relationship with God. Otherwise, if you do that kind of thing, you're practicing divination. But what I am doing is by the Spirit of God leading me by the providence of God. And so I have two different independent applications that can choose the possibility of any chapter in the Bible. These are random applications on the internet. I do that with great reverence and I receive two chapters that would bear witness with each other as to the theme of what God 
is wanting to say. Most of the time, the themes are very evident, way beyond coincidence. Other times, they're harder to be perceived, but they are always there. So I will share with you what I received today, and I also seek to have a hymn to go along with the message. That, And I'm very fussy. I put these hymns on a playlist that you can listen to on my website at loverealize.com where there's a lot of really good worship songs. All of them have the words with the song on video so that they can be used in your congregation. Now it's around 100 really good ones. So today is another new one. So we will play that worship song first before I share the message. Here is the song.
worship song of worship unto the Lamb of God and so I want to share with you two passages I received today by the casting of Lot before the Lord on August the 18th of 2022 Thursday I received Acts 14 and Revelations chapter 5 and the common theme between these two chapters is worship. In Acts chapter 14, it was because of a miracle that the Apostle Paul did that the heathen thought they were gods that came down in the form of man and were about to sacrifice and worship on worship them. And they, Paul, the Apostle, and others with him, tore their clothes and went into the midst of them saying, don't do this, don't do this. We're just men like you. Turn to the true God and worship him. And so it's good that I also go and read those passages um, in Acts chapter 14 first. And so we will go there now and just uh, read from Acts chapter 14. So first of all, Paul is in Iconium, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God granted that. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. 
And when there was assault made, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystria and Derbe, cities of Lassonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. There sat a certain man at Lystria, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lassonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of man. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings scarce restrained they the people that they should not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead, howbeit as the disciples stood round about him. He rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystria and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Pergia, they went down into Atala. And it goes on. Paul the Apostle is pleading with them and pointing out to them that they are worshipping idols. He points them to the true and the living God. So what does this have to do with Revelations chapter 5, which is on worship as well? Well, let us turn to Revelations chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open 
and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. I don't know. The four beasts have harps and golden vials as well, it seems. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. I don't know. It says that the four beasts are thanking God that they're also redeemed, that they were slain, and that God had died for them, and he, they're worshiping the Lord as well. I don't understand that mystery. Maybe somehow in the four beasts, there's the animal kingdom represented because the whole creation is liberated from the bondage of corruption at the time when there's the manifestation of the sons of God as is described in Romans chapter 8. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, Heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth for ever and ever. There's nothing more wonderful than being in the presence of God, who is the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love. The one true eternal God. Yes, and there in the midst of the throne is also the Lamb that comes forth from the out the greater light of God to personally minister to his people as individuals. In heaven there are many planes of time. So it's no problem for one plane of time to perpendicularly intersect another plane of time that we are on so that God can be in the Son ministering very personally to as many people as he wants, whether it's millions or billions. And it's all very personal because there are many planes of time. This was explained by one of the scientists. I think it is Hugh Ross, is the scientist, if I remember right, that explains this. I'm writing a book on the evidence of life after death and have written many accounts and descriptions of what various people 
have experienced both believers and non-believers, people from many different backgrounds, showing and confirming that it is only those that have truly found Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that enter into a place that is truly heaven when they die physically and are returned back in their physical bodies. I have not found any videos where the people that believe other things have anywhere near the experience of entering heaven in its glory and detail that is described by genuine Christians. They may experience a limited paradise environment that's not in heaven in order to point them in the right direction so that then when they return to the earth, they're all the more drawn to the place of genuine conversion and of living their lives out of love for God. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. I often share with the Jehovah's Witness that believe that Christ was a creature. Well, how come in your Bible they're worshiping Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God on the throne equally? You see, people don't understand, many of them, that we believe in only one true eternal God, but that one true eternal God is in three personages. Because to rule over the three ultimate aspects of existence, obviously you have to be in personage over those three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond the creation realm as the Father, beyond the time and space realm as the Father, who sees the end from the beginning, fully expressed into the creation realm as the Son. The word Son means expression. And it says in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father, the only one full expression of the Father. And he, he communicates on the creature level in the creature realm to experience the creation and have fellowship with the creation. And that is also drawn up onto the Father. And so there is personage ruling over the creation realm. And then there's the omnipresence, which is the Spirit of God filling all dimensions of existence in the creation realm and beyond onto the Father. And so there's only one God, but he is simultaneously in three personages or he wouldn't be God because he wouldn't be able to rule over the three ultimate aspects of existence. But what I want to share with you here is about worship and about this experience in the book of Acts where they are about to sacrifice onto them and are saying the gods have come down. Why is it that so many of them rose up to stone? Why couldn't they receive the message? Why did they have to always want to believe in many gods or in their own perception of God? Because those are the projections of their own heart's desire of what they want their God to be to them if they believe in many gods or of what they want God to be in them if they have an idolatrous monotheistic view of God. And this really is kind of a continuation of the message from yesterday where I pointed this out as well, is that Christ said, if people come in their name with signs and wonders or supernatural aspects of things in their lives, You'll gladly receive them. He didn't say that, that part about the supernatural. He just said if 
they come in their name, you'll receive them. But if I come in my name, you will not receive me. Why is it that they would not receive Christ as the Jews? Because again, he was threatening their own little kingdom that they had built. It is easy to start out where there is real, genuine revival. And people are genuinely being converted. And the people that are in ministry have truly been raised up with, of God and have been put through the crucibles of trial to have been brought to that place where they are being so used. And so you have ministry raised up of God. But as time goes on, possibly even as early as the third generation, you have people wanting to be in leadership with wrong motives, not out of that haven't been raised up by God, that don't have the witness that they are raised up by God, by the demonstration of the spirit and power that also confirms the word with signs and wonders following. People become satisfied with wanting to hear what they want to hear. And so pretty soon you form certain beliefs and focus in them very strongly, almost to the point that those beliefs become an issue of division or idolatrous because you are enshrining them. And then those that are the leadership are also enshrined in identity with those beliefs. And you are putting your identity more in your leadership than in your relationship with God. I wonder, I heard a pastor the other day saying, oh, how he goes on this holiday. One time he's telling, oh, I went on a holiday to, to such and such a country somewhere way in Europe. And then he's talking the other time. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this is a big Pentecostal church. And one, one time he's going way over here. It must cost a lot of money to go on holidays to these distant places. Maybe he's doing ministry. Then I can understand it. He didn't indicate that. But you see what happens is we begin to put people on a pedestal and we begin to put our identity in the things that we find our comfort in. And that is in the desire to just be insular, to be convinced that godliness can be equated with material gain and that the messages that people give that emphasize that God wants us to have our dreams, that God wants us to have material blessing, and so on and so forth, are good messages. But that was what the error of the church of Laodicea was. They had false teaching that allowed them to justify a lifestyle that was lukewarm. But God says to such a church, I will spew you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and that you put on garments that are not defiled, that are pure. Sardis defiled. Most of them had defiled garments in the church of Sardis, probably because they couldn't join guilds unless they compromised their belief. If they compromised their belief, then they could join the guild and have all the money they wanted. And so the Lord says to those that are defiled that he'll blot their name out of the book of life. That's what he says to the church of Sardis. To him that overcomes and is not defiled in their garment, 
I will not blot their name out of the book of life. Yes, you can lose your salvation after your name is written in the book of life. That is very clear in the word of God. Yes, during the time of the Antichrist, you could choose to join the Antichrist system and deny the Lord, and then you would lose your salvation. So don't tell, give me a false gospel. There's nowhere in the word of God that it says that you can't lose your salvation. You can make the choice. It's your choice. God will protect you as long as you are choosing to trust him to give you the strength through every trial to not compromise your relationship with him. God is calling us as his people in this hour to be those that are so caught up in a love relationship of worship with God that really are those that are willing to say, Whatever it takes to be close to you, I want you to do that. I love my master. I love my Lord. I choose to go through trials so that you will have me being everything you want me to be. I choose not to just want this and this and yet have you. I choose to let it all go. I say, Lord, it's in your hands. That is what God is calling us to be, to buy of him the gold tried in the fire to be those that worship him truly because we've seen how great his love is for us. How does that happen? It happens by having a life that is continually abiding in him, a life that spends much time in prayer seeking him, not out of a motive of religious duty or obligation, but out of a hunger to know him and to know this love, this love that was so great that God would humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, because he loves you so much, so that you could repent and receive this love and experience it. But to experience it requires you to continue to abide in him, to connect with him. I could go on talking here for a long time. I was watching a Life After Death videos. I am writing a book on Life After Death. On what was her name now? Oh, it's almost, her last name is Mackenzie. I think it was Ezra Mackenzie or something like that. Anyhow, she was describing how when she was sent back, she lost her connection with God in the tunnel, and then the tunnel slowed down. And she found herself in a place of terror where there was all kinds of people. She knew all of their languages supernaturally, because in that dimension you're very intelligent. And they were all, she noted that everyone was talking at the same time, and there was multitudes of people, and they were all filled with no, there was no love there. All there was was slander, gossip, hate, sadness that was being expressed, all kinds of terrible things. And now they were grabbing at her body and every part of her body was being pulled down and the energy was being drained out of her and she was wondering. And finally she cries out and says, God, I love you, help. And at that moment, the Lord pulls her up and gradually she said, it, took a, it seemed to take forever for their hands to let go, but they reluctantly let go. 
And she was asking God, why can't these be saved? He was saying it was because they made a choice. It's to do with free will. They made a choice not to connect with God. That was the way she explained it. They made a choice not to connect with the love of God. And he said they could choose right now where they are to come out of there. But the reason they can't is because their motive is impure. They just want to come out because of the torment. But their motive isn't pure to to come out because they want God. And they don't seem to have the power to choose that. But the Lord said, they have the potential. At least that's what she was expressing. So there they are. Somehow trapped because, and then she said she had to experience on her way back to earth, back into her body, she'd experience a disconnection again, and then she would reconnect. Disconnection again, then she would reconnect. And she was learning to connect with God, in other words, to abide in him, to continually be in a place of abiding and worship, out of love for him, not out of duty, not out of, oh, I gotta spend time in prayer. No, out of hunger, I spend much time in prayer in my life. Because I want to walk close with God. I want to know him. I want to have a love relationship with him. And I tell you, there's nothing more fulfilling than being in the direct presence of the Heavenly Father and the Son in heaven and worship. That's where people want to be more than anywhere else. They are totally fulfilled everywhere else in heaven, but there's nothing more deep and more fulfilling than and more pleasurable than being in the direct presence of God and beholding the face of God. And it says in Revelations 22 that they will behold his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Do you realize what that means? to have his name in your foreheads. His name is the very perfection of his being. It's who God really is in this ultimate perfection of love that's so great that it always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. It is so pure that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. This is the holiness of God's love. But out of that indestructible foundation of the being of God, which is represented as the negative symbol in math, which is a symbol of an indestructible foundation and of cutting off all corruption, is formed the symbol of the cross by crossing out that that negative symbol in the fact that God's love is so great and always was from the infinite past that he could become a perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross. Yes, he could communicate not only with his creation, but come into this creation realm and be tempted in all points as we are and yet without sin and actually become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice on the cross for your sins. Suffer more than you, a mere creature. Humble himself more than you, a mere creature. That's how much he loves you. And that's what they experience in heaven. They know in heaven when the Lord is looking at them personally in Jesus Christ and shining his love on them, that they're just like the apple of his eye, like more important than anyone else in the universe to the point that they know that if it was only them that Christ died for, he would have 
If it was only them that was alive or existed in the universe, he would have died just for that. That's the intensity of the love they experience. Something beyond any human comprehension in this world. How could we reject that love? We should fall down and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and let go of all these temporal things that we think are so precious that the enemy uses as a manipulative bait. And so it is that soon after the flood, they fell into polytheism. How did that happen? First, by a distorted perception of God that began to take place in the fact that some became bitter at the consequences of God's holiness and the suffering they were experiencing around them, like Cain did. And that became their focus. Oh, God, how could you allow all this suffering? So there's an unthankfulness. And then you begin to have a distorted view of God as some dictator that requires appeasement out of that. And then you begin to think, well, maybe there's other creatures in outer space. They're just equal to God, and I can worship them. And so you begin to believe that there's not only a monotheistic God that will meet your needs through your giving certain appeasements, but now you start to begin to believe there's other gods. You see? This is what happened to these people in the book of Acts. And they were now being told, no, there's only one God. And you have to give up your idols. You have to give up your insular world of comfort that brings you into a delusional realm. That's what's happening today. You have all these people in the White House they're totally insular in their own little world, idolatrous world. And many of them have terrible sex orgies and everything else. And many of them are worshiping Satan in these days. And there's lots of evidence for that that I've seen. I'm talking about the Democrats. I'm talking about people that stole the election, that are doing all these terrible things to the prisoners, to the innocent people that were there on January the 6th. You just go to my website at loverealize.com or ultimatemeaning.com and you can see all the links to the best news sites. I can't continue to talk here, but God is calling his people in this hour to rise up. And as it said in Acts 14, towards the end, Paul is saying to the church, it's through tribulation you will enter into the kingdom of God. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So embrace the cross because in the cross there is a depth of fulfillment and of freedom that the world can never give. Why would you want these outward things that leave you empty instead of the inner subjective fullness of the presence of God's peace, of his life, of his joy, of his love? God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. And remember, I have a book on the internet called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which shares everything that you and your church need to do in these last days to not limit the headship, the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly so that you conquer your community and your city and your nation with the gospel.
That's what the God is calling the church to do now, is to wake up and to become his conquering bride church, ready for his coming. The hour is urgent, so hear the cry of the Spirit. He that hath an ear, let him, and he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thank you.